women over shut the fool up. Expensive too. Welcome to TARDIS Talk, the weekly podcast where we discuss all things Doctor Who. This week, to celebrate the release of the Season 22 Blu-ray, we're taking a look at Revelation of the Daleks. Will Cook manage to stay awake? Will Matt notice the soundtrack? Let's find out. There was a soundtrack? <laughs> Tune in next week! <laughs> how, how are we all doing this week? How's everyone yeah, doing? Not bad, how are you getting on? Yeah, can't complain. Are you alive this week, Cook? Are you with us? Yeah, I'm alive this week. In, in spirit. <laughs> awake this week that's you're, different you're awake this week that's the key thing yeah yeah indeed so so yeah so obviously we're doing this uh this this week's uh review is uh it, it, to acknowledge the fact that the season 22 blu-ray the collector's edition was was released um but before we get into that of course production news kind of short week there isn't really any production news is there or have i forgotten something i don't think there's been any major announcements to do with the 60th fairly certain there's been no news to do with uh the next series or the centenary have you heard any no. rumors any rumblings i've not heard a thing nothing been diddly squat hasn't it and which is kind of the way really i suppose isn't it there was there was some kind of confirmation from russell t davies because he wrote in doctor who magazine and all of the press have been taking it and running with it and stuff like that and i keep seeing the same article popping up on like bleeding cool and Dan Geek and stuff, and it's the same bloody thing. It's just his quote from from Doctor Who magazine, and I think he's basically alluded to the fact that um, they've got Neil Patrick Harris in, and you know how is the Doctor and Don about together? You know, blah 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 blah. And he's actually he's he's cited off a list of possible reasons, and he said one of those reasons is true, and one of the reasons that he cited is the return of the Celestial Toy Maker, which kind of goes hand in hand with all the evidence that we've seen so far and stuff. So. Um, I guess that's really the only kind of fresh news we've got this week. There's, there's been nothing else in the in the press. I mean, where are we now? We are end of June, aren't we? So we're still quite a way away from at least like the centenary anyway. And then we're hell away from the supposed 60th. So no, no, no. That gentle reminder. I know this, this year does seem to be flying by at breakneck speed. Um, yeah, okay. Well, we might as well just jump straight into this week's review then, if you guys have got nothing to bring up. So, Revelation of the Daleks. Another classic. Interested to hear what your thoughts are on this one. You've never seen this one, have you? Neither of you, no. guys. Yeah, no, okay. No, so I've, another... seen, I've seen clips of it because I recognise some of the scenes, but I've yeah. seen the episode in its entirety. Yeah, it's... it's um... So interestingly, this I think this is probably like the uh, one of the classic seasons that you've seen the most stories from uh, between you both because we've we've done Vengeance of Aros and Time Lash uh, and now Revelation of the Daleks. So you've only got a couple more to, to to view, and then you've seen the entirety of season twenty two. Um, oh no! Take on with it. Go cook cheering. <laughs> I mean, those those missing stories are um, Mark of the Rani and Attack of the Cybermen. So Attack of the Cybermen's good. Uh, Mark of the Rani. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. But yeah, Revelation of the Daleks. So, um, plot, I suppose then. Uh, The Doctor and Perry visit a funeral home run by Davros, where he's trying to create an army of human Daleks whilst feeding the famished galaxy with their own loved ones. It's fine. I appreciate recycling. Yeah. (laughs) It's all about being green, isn't it? Absolutely. Soylent green. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> God. oh that worked well but yeah um this story is kind of like very very 
cut and run, isn't it? It's basically we're given the we're given the premise quite early on, and bearing in mind it's it's uh, in the mid eighties, the Colin Baker run when they're doing um, forty five minute episodes. So there's only two episodes in this one. We only get one cliffhanger, and uh, the, the 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 plot is quite you know the Doctor's trying to find out what's going on. And then he realizes it's to do with Davros and all the plot threads that are kind of hanging around come together and then it's resolved. Um, there's no kind of like craziness with it or anything in terms of like, because what was on we did last week, Happiness Patrol, and you guys weren't quite happy with like um, some of the ways that this, the, the storyline's connected and the the way the scenes kind of like gelled together and stuff. The directing wasn't particularly on, on point. Yeah, it was a very disjointed episode. How do you feel this week cooks specifically in comparison? Uh, yeah, I think it had a lot better entertainment factor. Yeah. yeah, definitely that. Sorry, I'm taking a big swig of cider while I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, it definitely had a lot more going on. Um, I think the plot necessarily wasn't entire. It didn't move particularly smoothly. Okay, um, be interested to see what you mean by that. Which which well, which plot is probably the key question because there's a couple of that are going on, isn't there? <laughs> You've got the body it seems snatches. Like the actual meat of the episode boils down to the confrontation between the Doctor and Davros, but it happens far too late. It does happen very late. Yeah, you're right about that. I never actually kind of... It never occurred to me that... that, that Considering we see Davros, like the reveal of Davros, da- Davros, of Davros is so early on in the story. It's like the third or fourth scene, isn't it? <laughs> when, he, when, when we see Davros and a Dalek for the first time. Or less, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so... It's pretense about what the story is well i mean he's got he's got daleks in the title so it's kind of no, good, really in it but you like you expect a sort of a little bit more fanfare and there just trundles along and then it's just Davros's face <laughs> basically <laughs> i mean what what is the revelation in question here because i've tried to work it out and i can't work out what the what the alleged revelation could be is is it that the daleks have some sort of no there is literally they don't have a revelation of any kind it's not like they suddenly turn around and go do you know what we're going to rethink our lives or anything like that yeah, exactly. literally our diplomatic stance <laughs> yeah it's difficult to kind of go with. it's just john nathan turner wanted to get his dalek stories beginning with an r which is the chain of them that go through in this one um well you see it's an interesting one because as, as a story goes and as the episode goes i really enjoyed it uh I do have one big thing that we'll discuss that we talk about sort of the pacing and how it works out, which is I can't actually tell you the point of the first part. Episode one, you mean? Yeah, the first part of the episode. Um, mm. You know, the first 45 minutes, which is the second. It's pretty much the Doctor and Perry struggling to get over a wall um, <laughs> and then finding out what's inside the place. And then everything else that kind of goes on with sort of the, the conversations with Davros, the conversations with the staff. The, even the incursion from the body snatchers into the crypt. That is all also referenced in the second one. So part of me thinks this is a fantastic example of what could be condensed down into one 45-minute episode. It's it's a setup. Yeah, you're right. It's just a, it's just a, an elongated setup, I think, this, but, this first this but, first. But time. that's the definition, though. It's a really elongated setup. Mm. We don't learn anything in that episode that they don't touch on again in the second part. No, I suppose so. Yeah, you're kind of right on that. I think, that, I think basically they do. Because if we look at it... If we work it out kind of by its constituent parts, we've got the Doctor and Perry investigating who the Great Higgler is because they basically want to find out. They originally go because they want to go to Arthur Stengos' funeral, I'm assuming. But they then find out that the Great Healer is creating mutants after the Doctor and that poor, poor mutant uh, have a fight in the snow. 
And then we've got the body snatcher story, which is actually Arthur Stengloss's daughter trying to find his body. Then we've got the kind of like the food production for the galaxy story uh, with um, Kara and her PA uh, and their kind of like dodgy business relationship with Davros. Then you've got the assassination story, which is kind of part of that one anyway, I suppose, to some extent. But we'll just for the sake of complexity, we'll split it out a little bit. You've got you've got um, the uh, the Grand Knight of... Um, Oberon and um, Orsini and his, his squire Bostock, basically the assassination assassination of Davros, um, and then you've got the love story between uh, Mister Copper and his squeaky uh, his squeaky underling, um, and then that whole presidential fifth faff stuff as well, which is kind of interesting. Um, I take it you guys have noticed that was Mister Copper. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah cool. Good, good call out. <laughs> right, brilliant. Okay, yeah. So, Mister Copper with a copper head returns in this. Um, so, so, there's lots of little constituent parts. Question for you, especially you, Matt. Actually, thinking about it, but for both of you, this. Um, do you, do you notice that that all of those threads do they actually feel uh, cohesive to you? Especially later in the story, do they feel like they 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 merge together? Correct, uh, you know, correctly. There's only one that I felt was a bit. Well, it was two. I'll say there's two. There's probably two that I feel that are a bit pointless. One more than than the other. Okay. Um, I I really don't understand the whole. And again, it's very much part of the first half again, which is why probably I feel this way. But the body snatchers going down to find um, her father and then find out there's a Dalek down there. <clears throat> they then get they then get quickly dispatched in the first half of the second part. So I'm not quite sure what their point in the overall story actually was. It could have been very much uh, found by any number of people, but we had to go for quite a complicated plot around trying to her uh, trying to save her dad and get her dad out of the. I think that's purely uh, it, though, isn't it? Home. It's the emotional side of it, I think, because that seems directed fantastic. The direction of this story, just to interrupt you there, the direction in this story is amazing. The camera angles, the scoring oh, yeah. is perfect. Well, apart from the scoring, because I never hear it. So again, with the direction and the angle. <laughs> oh my you know, god! I'm going to start a Patreon <laughs> to get you. <laughs> I don't know why I've just learned to face that out. Um, but, but again, the, even the acting with them is very good. It's just mm. the case of, again, I there's no point to it. And therefore, there doesn't coalesce anywhere. Therefore, it doesn't pay mm. off. I see where you're coming from to some extent. I kind of get what you're saying. I wouldn't necessarily um, say there's no point. Sorry, yeah, what's your second second one anyway? And the same, from my opinion anyway, is true for the the love story that we've spoken about. She goes, you know, she gets told to go kill him, but she loves him, but equally doesn't love her. She ends up killing him, and then what? And then she gets exterminated because she's she's betrayed yeah. Davros anyway. But I think that's more of a like I kind of like that. I think that's a clever, clever, bittersweet ending for her because either way, you basically look at Tass and Beaker and you think, God, what a knob, or God, I feel really sorry for her because she's so pathetic and, and pandering and fawning. I mean, he calls her a fawning mule or something like that, don't I? Um. But she basically, even right up to the end, she's trying to save him, and then he refuses. So out of out of love, you know, uh, crime of passion, she like hypodermic needles him in the chest, and then she's like, "Oh, what crime have I done?" She screams, "I hate you!" and she stabs him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's more a case of like she's so frustrated with him, like rebuking her advances and just being plain right evil to her with some of the things he says. And then, and then she suddenly realizes what she's done, and it's too late because some squeaky voice Daleks turn up and exterminate her, and she's like, "That oh, yeah. shit." Well, you know. But again, my point on that front is, what did it add to the plot? Oh, it added nothing to the actual overall drive of what's the what's the the the. the, the, the and, and yeah. you said there's a, there's a lot of threads, and they all coalesce and they pay off really really nicely, except for those two that are really out of place for me. I don't feel like I got any 
whether it's a positive or a negative reward at the end of it. I didn't feel like I get got anything. I kind of see what you're saying. They don't contribute towards the big. There is there is no there is no actual resolution. It's the Doctor kind of basically getting help from people to defeat Davros, and then Davros escaping, and then oh, yeah, and, yeah. So they, <laughs> they blow up the 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 I don't want to call it, they blow up the lab with all the new Daleks in it, and yep. they shut down, and they solve the food problem coincidentally by the line they threw away at the beginning with regards to the flowers as well. But you're right, actually. If the Doctor hadn't turned up, in theory, the plot would have still sold the sold itself the way it went. Yeah, which is kind of sometimes the case, though, isn't it, with Doctor Who stories? You always think, what contributions does the Doctor ever have to it? I mean, we're seeing, oh, yeah, seeing that quite a lot with recent stuff. But that's kind of interesting, because, again, it's kind of like, you know, he's actually just watching history happen, which is mm. what he claims to enjoy doing. But at the same time, you know, you like to see there's certainly some impact. Well, I suppose so. Cool. What about you, from a plot perspective and all those different threads and stuff? What... what... Do you think it gelled well, or is there anything that you felt was a bit bit over 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 baked, overdone, stuffed in there? But what was your vibe? Because you, um, you you specifically like you struggle with classic Who when it when it feels like it's overfull, when it's bloated or it moves too slowly. Was there anything in here that did that for you? Definitely the body snatchers, to be honest. Oh right, um, okay. And the they took far too long to even get to the whatever it's called, tranquil repose. Yeah, they did. To be fair, they did, didn't they? Yeah, now that I think about it, it was 45 minutes of them walking Um, around the countryside. Yeah, but I think, like, ultimately at the end, when... I think it does come together quite well. I just think there's too many things that are trying to come together. Okay, okay. Okay, it, was, it was acceptable. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the things that I felt like was a bit of a dead weight was the DJ. Uh, it just prime. No. I hated the DJ. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys know, but that DJ yeah, is a famous. He's a he's a famous he's a famous comedian from the eighties and nineties called Alexis Sale, and it's just prime prime John Nathan Turner stunt casting, getting someone popular in to try and get the younger or the the younger folks or the people who watch comedy on BBC in the in the eighties, basically try and get them to watch and stuff, and he's just fucking awful. Awful, isn't he? <laughs> really bad. When he's doing those cringeworthy to camera pieces where he's doing different American accents, I get the logic behind it, but it just felt totally unnecessary. It felt really immersion breaking as well. No, do you not agree? Incorrect. He was my favourite character. <laughs> Is this from an ironic sort of perspective, or did no, you genuinely? No, you genuinely loved him. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. You are an enigma, my friend. You are an enigma. I really don't know how to judge your your calls on this thing. That surprises me. I thought you were going to find them really cringy. Okay, that, what was it you loved about him? I just found it so entertaining. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Like, That's normally dreary um, yeah. experience. You're right, so. though. Yeah, it is a very, it is a very, very, very dark story when you think about it. And I suppose it is necessary to in, inject some humour into into proceedings. A little bit like how Tassenbeaker injected formaldehyde into. Uh, Mr. Copper's chest, I suppose. <laughs> what is his name? Joe Bell. Joe Bell. That's his name. Joe yes, Bell. That's yeah, the yeah. One. But like, for, so from the DJ's perspective, I I bloody hated him as a character. But I feel like that's the point. Whereas actually, at least he served a narrative reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. Splitting him up from Pe- uh, for the Doctor and Perry up and yeah. going down that path, which is which is fine. But I remember because I watched it with the cook, and I did say, "Blimey, he's annoying, isn't he?" And then he just started <laughs> falling in love with him. Moment by moment. Ah, brilliant! <laughs> oh, brilliant! It's, just, it's kind of your fault then. You, you highlight it to him and he kind of just fell for it <laughs> no 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 I'm not taking any responsibility <laughs> well yeah I suppose though kind of like uh, I mean at first I was a bit like what the fuck is going on here yeah but yeah, yeah. 
especially when he has all those all those costume changes as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and he obviously gets quite a, quite a sad ending as well. There's a lot of deaths in this story. I mean, this particular era in Doctor Who, uh, obviously, a lot of people. Um, so it is just worth kind of like discussing momentarily about this period in Doctor Who because this was nearly the death of Doctor Who. This 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 season is where we had the hiatus and Doctor in Distress kicks in and stuff. This is where Michael Grade wanted to finish it off completely, and then they ended up um, after Trial of a Time Lord obviously firing. So that would be the next season. I think it was like 18, 18 months later um, they redid it or brought it back again for one last you know crack of the whip. Um, but it came in for a lot of criticism in season 22 because it was just hyper-violent. I say hyper-violent, that's what they referred it to as. Um, you can kind of see why, can't you? You can kind of see why because there is a lot of... There is a lot of violence in... Uh, Christ, I mean, this story alone, Davros gets his hand blown off on camera. Um, the Doctor's covered in blood when he comes out from under it, under his statue, which is a weird cliffhanger, if ever there was one. Um, that that The way that Orsini kills Kara is pretty grim. He just, like, a knitting needle comes out of his hand and he just, like, <laughs> yeah. stabs her with it really brutally. Like, you first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just very very dark and you can kind of see why they kind of like said the violence is a little bit i think tonally it feels very different as well to a lot of other doctor who especially classic stuff i don't know if there's anything that you guys noticed in specifically in the story or are you just so desensitized of a sinister tone yeah. to be honest i noticed it from the get-go um like the moment that like the initial opening shot when the TARDIS lands and everything, yeah. the music and it, the atmosphere is quite sinister. Mm, definitely. Um, I thought the conversation they were having didn't really match the atmosphere they were trying to create, though. But... Who, Doctor and Perry, or just like, like yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They were, yeah, kind of... they were quite jovial. And they it was were riffing like, oh. and stuff, weren't they? I, you're right. Yeah. I think I think like the Doctor and Perry are on form in this season, though. I think like. <laughs> When because this is this one Trial of a Time Lord, uh, his only two seasons, and I think they struggled. Um, I think they struggled to ident to like create an identity for for the Sixth Doctor in the Twin Dilemma, which was the end of the previous season. Because weirdly, they only had two seasons. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I'm fairly certain I'm not missing anything. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he only had well, technically, yeah, 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 he did realistically. I mean, he came in at the end of Davison's series, which is weird because they had like the regeneration. His first story was at the end of another Doctor's season, which is really odd. You don't normally get that. Um, but like in Twin Dilemma, he tries to throttle Perry, and he's just horrible and nasty and ob obnoxious and awful. Well, he's horrible and nasty this episode. Too, well. <laughs> oh, he's not that bad. I think he's quite, he quite softens up to in this one. Um, but maybe again, maybe towards the end, but particularly in that first part, it's um, he's horrible to her. <laughs> yeah, not exactly protective of her as well, especially when Chobel's being a complete like. Yeah, exactly. That hasn't aged really, well. Really, yeah, really a predatory vibe. Like, yeah, you go off with him, you'll be fine. Yeah, so he is. Yeah, you're right about that. That hasn't aged well, and he is. Uh, that, that's interesting because, um, the, the character of Chobel is obviously supposed to be a bit of a ladies' man and a bit of a player, but he looks like a you know. <laughs> A seventy-year-old lecherous old man. I mean, he's, he's got a wig which falls off when he when he's killed at the end. <laughs> vibe, whether or not it was intended, the vibe that the character gave off was creepy. And I, yeah, I think it was probably intended. I'm assuming it's, it's meant to be intended because he's not he's not like a Lothario or anything. Well, he obviously is, but he's not meant to be like uh, you know a levacious Lothario. He's not someone that people kind of like turn to and go for you know. Um, but, no, but they mm. imply he's kind of sleeping with all the female staff there, bar 
Is that out of power though? Is that it? Yeah, I get that's out of power more than anything. Like, like people are like, oh, you know, Joe Bell, he's the king. You know, we'll sleep with him, and you get loads of favors and promotions and stuff at work. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. I think I think the way that the Doctor interacts with Perry in in this is there are moments where he's quite kind of like fond of her and stuff, but for the most part, he's he, he's definitely different to the start of season twenty two um, in Attack of the Cybermen and stuff, and. Uh, it's what was the one that we watched? The last Sixth Doctor story we watched was it Vengeance of Arros? I think it might have been. Yeah, did you watch that with us, Cook? It was Time Lash, I'm pretty sure. It was Time Lash. Oh, yes, you're right. It was Time Lash. It was Time Lash. Yeah. Um, and she had the same problem in that one. She had lecherous creeps hitting on her in that one, didn't she? She had the Borad mm. cracking it on with her, which is <laughs> pretty, pretty, uh, pretty grim. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, very interesting. But I mean. I think this story is it's the end of season 22 um, it, it did kind of like come to an abrupt halt pop quiz for you both let's see how well you know your Whovian lore on this because it's quite a well known fact at the end at the very end of the story uh, the doctor is trying to say to you know let's go somewhere new and stuff and he's about Whatever, to right. say where they're going no 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 because she says I want to go somewhere fun and he says okay uh, I'll take you to serious. and he's the, they freeze it and don't let him finish it they, they edit it and cut it off because they don't want to so straight up front I don't know because I complained that the cut was extremely awkward yeah so my my immediate reaction and Matt will corroborate this was Pound Town Pound Town oh brilliant Pound Town Jesus Christ <laughs> wow uh, yeah I, I, yeah I don't think the doctor you know, started doing that until he yeah 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 I mean I know Perry's pretty and everything but <laughs> um, no, it was, it was <laughs> it was whatever floats your boat, my friend. Um, it was actually Blackpool. So, funnily enough, in, yeah, in coincidence with uh, the current 60th, the following season's story was supposed to be called The Nightmare Fair, and it was to feature the return of the Celestial Toymaker in Blackpool. And they got to the point where they had the story written for it and everything like that, and then the show got put on hiatus. So they were never able to produce it. So the reason why the cut looks so weird is because he actually says Blackpool, but they, did, they, they cut it because they realised that they, they weren't going to go any further, or at least they, you know, there was an uncertainty around it. That's really annoying. So actually, that sounds like an interesting episode. Well, you say that, my friend. Surprise, surprise. No big surprises. Big Finish um, oh, uh, did the Lost Stories. Yeah, so Big Finish had done a lot of the Lost Stories of the abandoned plot lines, how, and they did when, that Whenever one. this type of conversation comes up, uh, Chris, you immediately perk up and are very happy to... <laughs> yeah. And immediately... I know. Listen to like, oh. Oh, oh, no. Not, not something that I've got to pay a modicum of attention to. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not that. It's that you have to sit there doing nothing to no, pay attention rubbish, to it. Rubbish. Don't blame us because you can't multitask. <laughs> That's exactly it. That is exactly it. I um, do blame you. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so basically, yeah, it was supposed to continue uh, after this point with, uh, with, a, with a feature story to see the return of the Stasio Toymaker, which was supposed to be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean... <laughs> What was your just just before we move on to the character then? What what Matt? What was your favourite plot thread out of all of the plot threads? It's clearly not the body snatchers. We've established that. <laughs> what did you appreciate um, the most? Oh, 
on the spot there. Cook, you can be thinking about this while Matt's struggling to come up with his. Mine, I'll tell you what, mine, mine's nice and easy. I really, really appreciate the assassins. I loved, I love Orsini and, and Bostock. They're, they're a great double act. And I like the fact that they were basically two rusty old men trying to go back into battle for one last last glory and they're just shit. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I got more backstory about those two than the entire planet. Yeah, I suppose so. There was a bit of romance built around the, the, the whole idea of the Knights of Oberon and stuff, wasn't there? Grand well, yeah, Order sort of the order and the whole thing about you know the sort of the honor they're going for you know there was quite a lot of actually of 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 law built into that bit as opposed to yeah any actual other reason why we we're there bar sort of the uh the fancy funeral home mm. yeah that's true so what what would yours be then oh you're on the on the on the rings oh, on the rings on the ropes now I know it's a thing anything I, cook what about you not, you got well, anything that jumps to mind. Um, as much as I complained about the actual body snatchers' purpose in being there, mm-hmm. I did really enjoy the whole um, turning humans into Daleks thing and showcasing yeah, that. It that was, was very, very cool, creepy, very um, creepy. Fantastic job, both on the like we said a minute ago, on the direction of that particular scene. Excuse me, on the direction of that particular scene. Yeah, thanks WhatsApp beeping halfway through a recording. Let me turn that off. Um, that scene in the in the in the tomb. And then we pan across that, that glass Dalek, by the way, was supposed to be originally seen in, I think it was the Daleks, the very first Dalek story in William Hartnell's era, but they just couldn't afford to make the, the Perspex prop. Um, yeah, right. mm, so they obviously decided to bring it back for Revelation of the Daleks. But yeah, that, that scene where they kind of come in and we see it for the first time. And I don't think, I don't, I don't recall seeing the human shape underneath the Dalek for the first time. I, I just remember seeing a mass in the middle and thinking, oh God, the Dalek mutant's in there. And then the eye opens and you're like, holy fuck, that's a face. That's really yeah, great. I didn't it the first time either. Yeah, really. And then, and then when they get close up, did you notice the little pulsating, like heart valves and blobs and stuff all over his, yeah, all over his, oh. particularly above his head. Yeah, exactly. On his head, even. Brilliant. And do you know what really creeps me out about that scene and the the costume design and stuff? It's the metal gums with the little tooth on it. Yeah, because it feels really out of place. <laughs> it's horrific. It's really well done. The the design on that on that mutant Dalek was fantastic. Um, I think that whole I've scene seen, was brilliant as well. I've seen pictures of that plenty of times, but I never actually realised that that was what was happening. I just right. Was, oh, that's a Dalek being grown, but it's yeah, a little bit. It's a bit more to meets the eye because it's not the first time that Davros has tried pissing around with Daleks and creating them from different different DNA and stuff. So um, yeah, it, it, it's it, it's quite interesting to see sort of like see it in the flesh, as it were, pun not intended. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just think, and especially the emotion behind that scene as well, where she's like suddenly having to, to realise that she needs to to, to to kill her own father, um, who's half begging for mercy, but at the same time threatening her with her extreme extermination. Uh, yeah, yeah, I found that. Uh, family drama. Family drama. Who needs it? Okay, let's, let's have a chit-chat about the characters then, shall we? So we've obviously got the Doctor and Perry. We've spoken about those in a bit of detail anyway, but... <laughs> One thing that struck me, and I've seen this story three or four times before, um, one thing that really struck me with this story was that the Doctor wields an Uzi at one point. Thank you. I mean, I what the fuck? Too. What? And yeah, fully automatic weapon and just fires it. <laughs> he spins I around. Like, I know. Like an, like an 80s action hero, spins around and just releases a full clip into... It's a Dalek he shoots, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, that Dalek didn't explode 
as powerfully as the Dalek outside exploded when the same Uzi was shot at. <laughs> I'm assuming Orsini switched over his um, uh, explosive warheads for uh, explosive bullets for. Uh, for it might have been slightly awkward otherwise. <laughs> Story's over. Doctor's regenerated. McCoy crawls out the rubble. Um, yeah, and I think Paul Perry just gets the the, the brunt of it again, don't she? You know, you're pretty. Therefore, you're just going to have to basically be in situations where men fawn over you, type thing. Um, yeah, which happens a lot of the time. Uh, we'll have to do the two top two doctors at some point, which is another season tip twenty two story, because there's some real uncomfortable sort of stuff in that one. That's yeah, very very cringy, very very awkward. Um, oh God, don't tell me it's the Santaran this time. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's the Santaran story. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, I mean at least it doesn't chant for chocolate, which is one benefit. Um, yeah. I... Intra- Doctor's blue coat. What do we think about the, the brief costume change? Do we like oh, blue? It's just a cleric, isn't it? Yeah. It's not really. A, it's like they covered cloak, up the um, the horror underneath. <laughs> I like his costume. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's grown. It's grown on me. Yeah, it's grown on me. It really, really is impossible to predict you, Cook. <laughs> so difficult. Tell you what, interestingly, you know that first scene where they come out of the TARDIS. I was watching the um, one of the special uh, special features on the Blu-ray. Um, and uh, Nicola Bryant was saying that you know when when she comes out of the TARDIS and we have that really long shot of her kind of like very slowly and very gingerly working her way down the riverbank towards the river before she throws her her not roast roll or the Doctor's not roast roll in the river and she's going down really slowly but she's talking to herself so apparently the only reason that she does that is because um, or talks to herself weirdly and the, the, the track goes on for so long is because it, it was really slippery and icy and she was taking too long to get down so the director was like you need to fill some time as you're going down this this riverbank because it, otherwise it's just you very tentatively climbing down a riverbank without trying to break your neck for about 30 seconds and you just need to mutter and grumble under your breath because that's one of the things I like about Perry is that um, she does bitch and moan a lot and I like that I think it's quite a, quite a charming trait you know she, she whines about going up. back to the TARDIS. <laughs> she whines about wanting to go back to the TARDIS. <laughs> and she sort of, you know, bitches about the fact that the Doctor was about to feed her a nut roast roll, which apparently explodes when consumed. Uh, <laughs> I'm beginning to think she's got a case now, actually, for all her arguments. Yeah. Now that, <laughs> now that I think about it's not, this. Lots feeling like paranoia if you've got evidence. Uh, do, you, do you guys like Perry as a character, like as a companion? Like, where would you rate her? I'm not, don't go through all the companions ever, but I mean, like, do you appreciate her as a companion? And what, what what do you make of her? Because you've seen you've seen three stories with her in there. I'd say I find yeah. her pretty interesting. I think, uh, sadly, like we said earlier, she it does seem like she constantly falls into being the pretty girl trope, which mm. is unfortunate because I think you know from from not just the character but also the actress portrayal of her, I think they can uh, she could have more. Mm. Yeah, true. And she gets unceremoniously written out of the show as well by having to marry Brian Blessed, which I wouldn't, even though I love the bloke, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Uh, Cook, what about you? Any any uh, inclination? I have no great her love for her, to be honest. I what? think she's a little bit useless. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, can't really argue with that. It's, I mean, it took her so long to even help when the Doctor was in that fight. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, she turns up with a bit of a puny stick and starts batting that mutant on the back of the uh, on the back. Who, interestingly, the role of the mutant was offered to Lawrence Olivier, world famous actor, because he um, he he'd apparently wanted a bit part in Doctor Who. But uh, I think that would have been beneath him. That would have been slightly weirdly interesting to see him in a twenty second role as a as a mutant who rolls down the hill. He probably probably should have been 
one of the um, knights if she was going to do that. that. Yeah, that would have been more impressive. Way more impressive, definitely. Okay, um, who else have we got then, characters-wise? Uh, I mean, are there any characters that stood out to you, uh, Matt? Any any characters in particular that, you know, you really like watching? Yeah. Again, bar the, bar, bar the assassins, not particularly. Hmm, okay, that's that's interesting. What about you, Cock? Are there any that jumped out to you? Uh, yeah, I really like the DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the DJ, we've spoken about the DJ. No. Wow, okay, so... Uh, Five Rats is interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Um, Go on. I suppose the woman that was... I don't know what her name is. Car, is it Cara? Cara. She's played by another famous British actress called Eleanor Brom. She was in loads of stuff in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, she's... she's. Although I think the problem with that character is they basically like give this like triple-layered level of duplicity, but it just doesn't feel like it's worth of anything because you only see her yeah. in business conference room scenes and stuff like that. I like the banter she has with her um, incredibly camp PA. Uh, and he's he's a he's a bit of a character. I quite like it. Well, how how little she cared about her PR after he got extended. Oh, I don't know about that. There's, do you know? Interestingly, you mentioned that. Um, uh, the, the, I've seen many conversations about this before on Gallifrey Base. Um, the Doctor Who forums. They used to do what we're doing now. They used to watch classic stories and then they have a whole forum thread open for it and people to talk about it. And there was a thread that went on for I shit you not. It was about sixty or seventy pages about how much she actually cared about her. Um, PA's uh, extermination and I don't know because he gets killed and the, the line she comes out with oh it's so good to ha- to find good PA's these days yeah that sounds callous but the way she delivers it seems really kind of like sad in a way and almost like it's alien to her to, 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 to feel sad if that makes sense sad? her first concept isn't oh fucking hell I'm going to go back to recruitment but it's the way she delivers it seems really kind like, of like she's not sad for him she's sad for herself yeah she's she's like oh damn i gotta go back to recruitment and get another pa and it's gonna take ages she maybe i did not yeah. i did not get a vibe of air at all yeah. that, that is a possibility i mean this is my point we don't get enough of a character understanding of Kara to determine where she sits on that kind of level you know is she completely cold right. like we're led to believe or so i'm no i'm no expert <laughs> but if somebody i worked with or got on with extremely well was murdered right in front of me my first thought probably wouldn't be oh god there are places them and to be fair matt if that happened to you i think exactly the same thing in regards to the podcast i'd be like oh, you're God. thinking that now aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay um the thing is before he um when he died and before she actually said it i said to matt oh how are yes. you gonna find another yes. pa now and then it happened and then it happened it's like you had foresight it's like you had foresight mm. oh it's brilliant okay you just touched on the point that we really should spend a bit of time talking about because he is like the, 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 the main character in the in the story really which is davros of course played by the fantastic terry malloy um at this point in doctor who so obviously davros has been played by various actors through the years david goodison michael wisher terry malloy it- julian bleach Mm. So I feel, and here's an interesting sentence that I never thought I'd say. I think Davros has an interesting firefight, doesn't he? There's actually that bit of uh, <laughs> taking cover backwards and forwards between the gun and Davros shooting his lightning or whatever. And I quite enjoyed that, yeah. but fundamentally, I feel like he was underused. What the the actual character of Davros throughout the story? Yeah, yeah, I kind of get where you're coming from, but that's I think this is this is the danger mean, with him. Doesn't say just to be clear, doesn't mean I didn't enjoy every second he was on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wish I could have seen more of him and with more meteor areas. I think what that ties in with what Cook was saying is some credence to what you were saying, Cook, about uh, it would have been better for the Doctor and Davros to have met way earlier. Maybe maybe have that as the cliffhanger at the end of episode one or something, and pad 
you know their interactions out a lot more uh, yeah tell you what there is <laughs> sorry cook there's a big finish story cannot remember the name of it to save my life but it's so good i was cutting the grass when i was doing it and i stopped cutting the grass and i sat down and listened to it for the rest of the afternoon but it's six and davros and they're forced to work together um for something and davros is constantly trying to get and, and ask two scientists and the way that they play off each other colin baker and terry malloy is the davros and the sixth doctor oh the chemistry it's the best davros and doctor chemistry i think i've ever seen better than baker and um wisher uh better than uh tenon and bleach or even or even capaldi and bleach i just think the the chemistry between six and davros specifically those two actors is fantastic and you just you're right you just don't get enough of that in um in revelation of the daleks uh, although I do like the fact that the doctor goes to shake his hand as a piss take at the end. Yeah. <laughs> He's got this little green stump. Yeah. <laughs> That's brutal. That's brutal. So you can see Davros like hesitate for a he second. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. I can't I recall. If that was scripted or improvised. I, I don't know. I've no idea. I've no idea. I know that Colin Baker did a lot of improvisation in in, in his time, but I, that seems a little bit too uh, too scripted, doesn't it? To, to, or too too worked out. But I don't know. The, the, just the comedic timing of it seems so. Perfect. perfect that's it yeah it, exactly it doesn't strike me as something that they'd be able to recreate no like, no authentically so no, I, know. Yeah. I know i know it's it's, it's pretty funny it does make me laugh it's also a couple of first uh, notable firsts in this one so this is the first time that we see uh any sort of dalek or davros levitate so we've never seen a Dalek fly before, and we see Davros levitate in, in a very oh ropey, God, yeah. very that, ropey. I mean, it's, I mean, it's nice to see it, but that effect was awful. Yeah, I mean, I it watched this on... Me... <laughs> It took it, me a while to figure out to realise it was, it was doing it. I know it's that bad, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I oh, I, I watched this on the Blu-ray. In it. The what, sorry? A leg clipping. I know, his leg's literally <laughs> going through <laughs> it. There's... And forwards between Davros's chair, and I was the, like, oh no. There are some very suspicious, we'll talk about the visuals just before we wrap up, but there are some very suspicious visuals throughout this particular story. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the firsts. And um, uh, the other first is kind of like the first official glimpse at the Dalek Civil War that bleeds into remembrance of the Daleks, because of course the three of us watched that, so you're aware of that. And you've got the Imperial Daleks and the Renegade Daleks, so grey versus white. And that's the first time that you get this as a concept. And apart from Power of the Daleks when the two factions split out, uh, sorry, Evil of the Daleks when the two factions split out, uh, this is the first time that you get this kind of like Dalek Civil War thing going on. And I kind of like that what they do with Davros in this, that they treat him as a war criminal. The Daleks have always wanted Davros as their pet. Um, did we talk about this recently? I'm getting deja vu. Mm. I can't recall, but yeah, the, the, well, the Daleks have always basically wanted Davros as their pet, and they wanted to keep him in the dungeon. Basically, it happens in in uh, series four, it happens in Resurrection of the Daleks. Um, it's interesting to see him in a in a position where he's like basically a Nazi doctor hiding in deepest Brazil. If you get my drift, because he basically yeah, says I, to the Daleks, doesn't he? He's like, "How did you find me?" Um, you know. Uh, and I really like that. You know, he's like a mad scientist. He's experimenting on humans in the bottom of a dungeon, and he's finally caught by the people that are trying to catch him for putting him on 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 trial. Um, and I just like that as a concept. It adds a layer to Davros that just means he isn't kind of like this freaky-looking half-human, half, sorry, what half-humanoid, half-Dalek thing. It just seems like a really cool idea. Yeah, and it was incredibly satisfying as well when they when the Daleks are taking him away, and he's he's 
pleading, for lack of a better yeah, phrase. Yeah. yeah, he's basically being corralled away. What do you guys it think? It did amuse me. Mm. It did amuse me when he was talking to Kara and all he's basically talking about is money, which is something yeah. that you didn't really, didn't really expect Damros no. to be talking about at all. No, this is this, so. This is the interesting thing, right? Um, what I'm trying to work out what what Davros stories you guys would have seen. Um, have you seen him in any of the classic Who before? Oh, Remembrance. But again, in Remembrance, you, you, you might as well fart and you'll miss him. He's he's hardly in it, to be fair. Yeah. He gets a cameo at the end, and that's about it. So Julian Bleach, um, when he did his Davros stuff, uh, it's a very different version of Davros to the Davros that we know in, in Classic Who. Because in Classic Who, he's either a scientist um, with kind of like slightly duplicitous intentions, or he is... Insane. I, I don't know if insane is the best way of putting it, but he's kind of like basically like in remembrance of the Daleks. He's kind of like showing signs of being slightly unhinged. Um, Re- Revelation, I think, is the closest. Like you say, Cook, we get to see Davros being more than just a scientist and more than just an insane ruler of Daleks. He's manipulating a situation to an advantage, which is beyond the scope of of just being cut and run. I want to create an army and take over the universe type thing, you know. He's manipulating the the situation here. He's kind yeah. of turning people into food, <laughs> uh, and then turning humans, the leftover humans, into into Daleks, and that's quite a dark. It's definitely an interesting concept that's got legs, and it's just a shame we didn't get to see a little bit more of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 very true. I mean, hang on, what did you just say? It's an interesting concept that he's got legs. No, that that has got legs. Oh right! I, was, I thought you said that, and then I thought, did he just say that he's got legs? Did I miss a complete? Pl- I've seen this story countless times. I mean, that's one thing, Doctor. Right. Oh, no. Yeah, we've had Child Davros, and Child Davros had legs. So. Yeah, he did. Child Davros definitely had little legs, um, which, let's face it, uh, didn't really last for that long. But um, yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I, I, what do you guys prefer? This is going to be a popular, popular opinion or a popular, unpopular, divisive opinion with our listeners. Who do you prefer, Bleach or Malloy? I can hear the gears turning. I'm, I'm a Malloy fan through and through. I just think his version of Davros is more calculating and less. I don't think I have a preference. Do you see a difference? Not heavily, not off the top of my head. Okay. I could. The thing is, I could see, I could see Malloy doing Bleach's stories, and I could see Bleach doing Malloy's stories. So. Okay, okay, okay. That's interesting, because a lot of people say that there's a lot more emotion in uh, Bleach's Davros. Um, just for record, I hated the. Is it which one? The, the which is familiar in the Magician's Apprentice? I hated the way they treated Davros in the story. It just. I mean, the fact that he opened his fucking eyes as well. Oh, that grates on me. So he doesn't have eyes. They're burnt out of the sockets. That's supposed to be what it is. It just, oh, yeah, infuriates me. Really infuriates me. Um, sorry. I needed, I needed to rant that one out. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just feel like kind of he's a little bit more human in his new, in, in the Bleach version than he is in Malloy. You know, he's very much kind of like a pantomime villain to some extent in, in the classics. Um, but he does it in a really kind of like evil and duplicitous sort of way, I guess. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I um, mean, he had a duplicitous plan in The Magician's Apprentice. 
well, I would, I would say convoluted plan, but yes, it was it was duplicitous. I'm going to make the doctor feel sorry for me, <laughs> so that he can yeah, grab hold is. of my cables. <laughs> oh, matron! <laughs> but you know what well. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, okay, that's interesting. But like Davros is a pretty cool character. We'll do uh, Resurrection of the Daleks at some point because you get he, you get a lot more out of him in that one. Um, weirdly, it feels like the further they went on with the Davros stories, the less of a part he got in them. Uh, especially in the Remembrance this, this year, though, because he's, he's hardly in it. He kind of like his poor little head spins open and at the end reveals him. You're like, oh, there well, yeah, well, the less of a, uh, I suppose, also the less of an evil genius part he gets. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. why, why, why I would love to see more if we got to do Davros again. Oh, sorry, a little introduction from uh, from Lily, who's sat underneath me at the moment. Um, just for clarity, Lily's a dog. <laughs> I was going to um, say, have you been child smuggling again? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so moving swiftly on from that. Davros, evil um, genius. Yeah. Well, yeah, it would be nice to see a, like a good a good two-parter or even a good season arc, actually, where we get to see Davros be the evil genius, put all the plans into motion, yeah. do the yeah, evil yeah, yeah. things, as opposed to it just being you know foiled at the end and that very much almost scooby-doo action of i'll get you next time yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah yeah that i completely agree yeah that we definitely need to see davros being a scientist again rather than being the, the dalek's pet because that's all he's been treated as you know um, yeah in charge but actually follow an evil scheme all the way through yeah 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 very much so i like the idea of davros being you know the dalek's regret but at the same time he's still the one who's kind of like super in charge it, well not in charge but he's the cleverest so he's always going to be able to either out, out, outdo them or they basically they fear him because that, the Daleks fear Davros that's why they're always trying to bloody exterminate him or keep him on the leash they're afraid of him that's that's the whole gist of it okay um, we need to wrap this up so very quickly then the visuals aren't amazing in Revelation of the Daleks <laughs> No, I mean, by any stretch. That made us laugh is um, when they're doing actual scene with the doctor in front of his statue, um, it's wobbling back. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no, Originally, right. we're, we're taking the absolute piss, saying, oh, God, that's not a great effect anyway. <laughs> it's down on him. It, like, oh, it was yeah. meant to happen, but it still looked like it was by accident. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can, although can you imagine just going to the plot point of that Davros the whole point of that was Davros wanted to try and lure the Doctor in with a tantalising clue and he's like I know what I'll do I'll create a big statue of the Doctor made of polystyrene and make it drop on him and he'll wonder what the hell's going on it's like Davros you've got Daleks working around just just get them right. to catch him that, that's... I like to imagine that the prop fell over and they just had to write it into the <laughs> That would be amazing if that was true. Amazing. That would be amazing if that was true. I mean, there's some of the ropey effects in there. You mentioned, obviously, the over the overlay work isn't particularly amazing in this. I don't know if you noticed it. It's subtle, it's tiny, but the TARDIS, when it materialises in, they normally do like a, a lock on the camera and then do a crossfade to bring the TARDIS prop into, into shot, merge the two shots together. But it wobbles slightly. Did you notice that when it lands? No, so it, it ever it, it's fractional, but I think I noticed it the first time I ever saw it, and then it, it just stands out like a sore thumb every time. Um uh, the, the only decent shot I think to be honest with you the entire thing is uh, the set work's brilliant I think the design of the set work looks great but it's the um, it's the exterior shot of Tranquil Repose which is uh, I believe it's Plymouth University no it's not Plymouth University it's the old IBM building in Plymouth um, and then they've got those cool looking pyramids in the background which is clearly some sort of Blade Runner-esque influence but yeah not the strongest the score Matt what was your favourite track in the score 
<clears throat> yeah, that. You, so you know that one at that point. Oh, that yeah, 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 that one. Right, yeah, great, cool. You on board with that one, Cook? Yeah, that one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, yeah, I concur. Yep, you concur as well. Did you notice it at all? The score in this um, Only initially, and then it oh. sort of faded into sort of the blended a little bit of viewing point. experience. But yeah, like, uh, I noticed immediately, like, the sinister track yeah, at yeah. the start of the episode, and then. Um, yeah. Nothing after that, basically. Pretty standard work. Yeah, no, no, it's pretty, pretty standard fare for this era, Doctor, which is great. It doesn't kind of like over, over, right the 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 scene though, which is what you tend to get with a lot of Murray Gold stuff. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> so there you take that back. <laughs> never ratings. So I hope you thought long and hard about this. How many frozen corpses out of ten would you give this story, Cook? Um, I'd give it a seven. Frozen corpses. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Interesting, I'll give it 7 too. Mm, interesting, I'll give it a 7 too. So, we're all in unity for once, which is interesting. Blimey, this I know, this it. this does not happen often. So, we're all in agreement that Revelation of the Daleks gets a lovely 7 out of 10 from us. So, that brings Without us to the, the end. Without the DJ, it would be a 5. Without the DJ, it would be a 10. You want that bad? You want that bad? So, thanks for tuning in. Give us a like and subscribe on our Twitter and Facebook channels. Don't forget to join us next week. We'll be bringing you new reviews and content as per usual. But for now, it's a goodbye from us.